Good morning. This is Inside the FLX from FingerLakes1.com. I'm your host, Ted Baker, and I'm joined appropriately by two of my old friends from the radio side from Seneca County Cooperative Extension, Abe Botter and Judy Ryder here. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Ted. Morning. And thank you so much. I got a beautiful gift basket upon my uh, departure from the radio mm-hmm. scene with all kinds of great Finger Lakes products, and thank you very much. That meant a lot to me. Our, our pleasure. It's, that's the, the thing to do. You, everything you've done for us over the years, we just wanted to thank you. So I'm hosting this program now uh, each Tuesday morning at this time, and if I look like a radio guy trying to do video, that's what I am. <laughs> See the face for radio? Yes. So what we're going to start with, because we had a whole bunch of things we're going to get into, and, and we'll, we'll visit many times over the weeks to come, but let's start with the annual meeting coming up on Monday night. Uh, it is a Zoom affair this year, so talk about the importance of that meeting and the business that gets done. Well, the, the annual meeting is very important. Uh, every uh, association has to have our, our annual meeting. The, the membership of the, uh, of the association is, the association is made up of the members, anybody who participates ultimately in a, a, a cooperative extension program is a member of the association. Uh, and any Seneca County resident uh, can come to the annual meeting. That's uh, where we have to conduct all of our official business as the organization. Uh, so we have to uh, elect new board members. Uh, this year we actually have to go over our constitution, uh, revise that, uh, and uh, it's we do a financial report, we report out on all of the programming over the course of the year. And so that is, is it's critical, uh, and it's critical we get 25 people, because <laughs> uh, otherwise it's not a quorum. Uh, and so that's the, that's what we'll be doing. Uh, we'll be joined actually again this year, the, the, I guess the one nice thing, if you can call a virtual meeting versus an in-person meeting nice, uh, is our, our state director, uh, Chris, Dr. Chris Watkins, will be joining us uh, as well, and so we'll be uh, we'll be doing that. And so it's it's very important. People can uh, sign up actually uh, on the website and get the registration link and go from there. That leads into my next topic, which is adapting during COVID. Mm-hmm. I've said many times I think your organization was among the first to really jump on the opportunities of using Zoom and being able to bring in national mm-hmm. guests. A lot of the 4-H programs were done remotely. Mm-hmm. Just talk about how your team adapted so creatively during COVID. I'm I'm very proud of the team and, and, and Judy is here and was, was part of that. We we met pretty quickly after after we shut down and said what what can we do how can we pivot all of these programs? Uh, I think the my my best example that that I was just very proud of how everybody came together is uh, we were faced with a farm to school program with no farm and school. Uh, so we couldn't get it. The schools were, were, were shut down. They were all virtual. You couldn't do anything. And we said, well, how do we get across? How do we do some of the things that we were going to do and, and still uh, produce that program, make that connection with local and, and people eating, uh, eating in their homes? And we had gone to, uh, we were going to be doing school gardens. Uh, and so that was kind of there with the farm to school people. And uh, Patty Payne, the horticulture person, said, "Well, you know, Payne Ann is doing. They're going to hand out seeds, just in general." It's like, and so that went from, "Well, we could do seeds," and then went, "Well, why don't we send? Why don't we do seed kits? And why don't we send those home to to the the students' homes, and they can do their own." Uh, Gardens, and then they can. We will produce videos to show them what to do during each step of that, of that process. And so it was a, it's a, 
the thing about extension is we adapt and and we're we're pretty creative and I've got a pretty creative staff and so that was that was just a great example we've handed out a thousand uh, home to school garden kits uh, the the 4-H group was they actually uh, we were a spearhead for a regional program that a, every day there was a different lesson that was that was being presented uh, with the materials, uh, oftentimes materials could be picked up, uh, or you could have materials that you would have from around the home, and that actually won a, a national award for for its work. Uh, so, uh, it's a, it's a lot of let's embrace the technology. Let embrace it. Don't just don't just sit and say, oh gee, what are we, what are we going to do? It's it's really like they give you lemons, make lemonade. Judy's title is Ag Economic Development Specialist, so let's get kind of a, a state of the state for Seneca County and upstate New York agriculture. Let's start with this harvest season. Uh, how has it looked this year? Things have gone really well. Um, the weather pretty much cooperated. The growing season was fabulous and yields have been really good. So farmers right now are um, finishing up. Soybeans came off fairly well yielded well and grain harvest for corn is now finishing up so farmers are in pretty good shape a lot you'll if you drive by some of the bigger farms you may see a lot of steam coming out and that's primarily from the grain dryers they're taking the moisture out of the corn so it's good for storage um, grapes are always of interest to this area <laughs> and they 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 had a, a interesting season I guess is what I'll say um, I'm not directly involved with that um, production area, but reading the newsletters from our grape team, a lot of good, good quality grapes. They were very big, very plump, and they're um, starting to make some wine with them. Well, and you've reminded me, we'll get Hans Walter Peterson on yes. here at some point in the future. I call him the Finger Lakes go-to grape guy. <laughs> Definitely. Let's talk about the COVID effect. Are we seeing any disruptions in markets for local farmers or any supply chain difficulties in getting tractor parts or, or anything like that that you're seeing? I've not heard too much along those lines. There's um, some possible concerns down the road um, with some other types of inputs, primarily around chemicals. Um, I saw some information coming out of the Midwest encouraging farmers to think about how they may um, handle their uh, weed control in the f for next year because some of the ingredients that go into some of the main herbicides to control weeds uh, could be limited. And unfortunately, um, believe it or not, Hurricane Ida, which devastated the southern area of our country this summer, has the potential to impact this as well because one of the main um, herbicide manufacturing plants in Louisiana was severely damaged and I'm not sure whether that's back up online or not. So, so you know, supply chain issues, there's some potential for that. Um, and, you know, farmers are, farmers want to grow products, they want to be able to market it and uh, looking for the tools, they'll, they'll find a way to make that happen. All right, Abe, let's go back to the very beginning. I think the first time I ever heard of Cooperative Extension was when I was working in Texas in the early oh. 80s. So where did this idea of colleges lending their expertise to the ag community and teams like yours spreading that knowledge out, how did that get started? So the, the 
the whole land grant system is actually a product of uh, one of my favorite presidents, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and so the, and I believe it's 1862, the Morrell Act, uh, established land grants, which meant that the federal government gave each state at that time a chunk of land uh, with which to uh, make whatever, basically they could sell it, they could do you know, whatever it is that they needed to do with it to then subsidize uh, a land grant university for each state uh, that would uh, emphasize the, the agricultural arts. It would, it would emphasize uh, all of the things that needed to support the anything that would actually ultimately be happening in the state. Uh, the interesting thing uh, in terms of, so that's where you end up, Cornell somehow, a, a private institution, ended up being the, the land grant for New York. Uh, the original agricultural college was going to be in Willard. It had actually been established. Uh, there was a building, uh, and then the Civil War hit. Uh, and then the Morrell uh, Act came through. Cornell, uh, I, Ezra Cornell knew some people uh, in Albany uh, and arranged to, to be granted the land grant. And so Cornell becomes the land grant institution for New York State. Uh, but you, other people would be more familiar. Penn State, Michigan State, uh, those are the land grants. Uh, and each one is uh, gets uh, some federal money in order still uh, through other acts that come down through the years. Um, for the system that supports, uh, as I said, supports agriculture, uh, supports uh, home uh, nutrition, home, uh, home economics ultimately, uh, and those are the, the, the land grant pieces for the whole state. And so when we have a, we connect, if there is a program that we need information on that Cornell may not have that support, that may not have a faculty member, well, Penn State might. And so we can uh, utilize uh, other land grants for those kinds of things. So now talk a little bit about the structure of Cooperative Extension. You've talked about the different teams you have. Yeah. You've got a grape team that focuses on grape growing yeah. and wine. You've got a crop team, a dairy team. Yeah. So talk about that organization, and then Judy, talk about your specialty a little yeah. bit. So each, in New York State, uh, it, we have a, a unique system. Uh, there might be one other state, but even that one isn't quite the same. We are, uh, Judy and I, are employees of the uh, Cooperative Extension Association of Seneca County. So we have our own board of directors. Each county, more or less, there's a couple that are combined, but each county in the state has its own cooperative extension. And then, uh, so I report to the board of directors in Seneca County, but I also report to Chris Watkins, who's the state director. And so uh, that gives the ability of each county to look at its specific needs and to um, then have a program that addresses those, addresses those needs. So in Seneca County, uh, we actually cover most of the, what are considered for the missionaries for the, the state. Uh, so we have agriculture, and we'll let Judy talk about that. We have 4-H uh, youth development. We have nutrition. Use my cheat sheet so I don't forget anything. Uh, we have home horticulture, uh, which is the Master Gardener program. Uh, we have environment and natural resources, and under that comes things like sustainable energy and uh, climate change, uh, recycling education, which we do for the county, <clears throat> and also uh, community and economic development. 
so those are the major areas. Uh, we have, uh, in Seneca County, we have staff that's uh, associated with each one of those for the most part. Uh, some of them uh, fall on the executive director, other duties as assigned. So I kind of pick up the, uh, the, the uh, sustainable energy and those kinds of things. All right, so Judy, let's talk about the economic development side. How do you interface with producers and, and what sort of problems do you help them through? Sure, so um, I have a background primarily in field crop production and soil science, so I feel very at home here in Seneca County with our significant uh, grain and soybean production amount. So I'm able to speak with them and learn what their concerns might be, and if um, if if it is a concern, I then pass it on to the regional team, the regional field crop team, and they're able to stay more up to date and understand what the latest technologies are um, for any problems producers might have. Um, so from there, I also work on the economic development side, and having the teams available um, allows me to do some really unique type of activities. Primarily, they are um, helping right now to uh, update the county's agriculture farmland protection plan, which will then guide the position I'm currently in, uh, looking at opportunities for value-added products, um, marketing opportunities, and also thinking about the environment, how agriculture interfaces with the environment. And also this position um, provides opportunities to work with what I'll call niche type activities. And the one that kind of comes to mind, um, has been in the news fairly recently, is the Amish agriculture project that actually is being, being spearheaded by a local entrepreneur businessman, Mark Lynn, and he has worked and connected with um, some of the Amish community in Ovid, and they've actually constructed and are successfully raising in um, uh, basically a high tunnel, it's like a hoop house, shiitake mushrooms. And those are being marketed not only locally, but they're also going down into New York City where they're very popular. And the vision for that is to continue to um, bring more Amish families in. This is a good project for them in the winter time because that's a slow time for them. And um, Mark is in the process of putting in a production line at his um, Figure Lakes Tea Company, which is still selling tea. Mm -hmm. So it's it, so from going from field crop production to shiitake mushrooms is um, quite a span, <laughs> and that's I'll say one of the things I really enjoy about this job is that I do get a lot of opportunities to learn uh, about a lot of different types of things related to agriculture. Is there opportunity for more of those specialty type crops? Because I would assume that there's probably a higher markup and a higher profit percentage on shiitake mushrooms than growing 100 acres of corn. There is, but eventually, like everything, you can um, reach saturation. And the shiitake mushrooms are much more labor intensive because it's all handwork. Um, compared to growing 100 acres of corn or soybeans. Really, one individual, basically part-time with not even the biggest and best machinery, can go ahead and get um, our crops 
you know, our field crops planted and harvested. But yes, you, it just takes someone's um, interest, in my opinion, their interest, their spirit of entrepreneurship to say, this is what I want to do. And then they come to Extension and say, can you help me? And, and as they've said, we have a lot of resources out there and not only within New York, but we can go outside of our state to the other land grant institutions to collect the resources that we need in order to help um, an idea come to fruition. So um, I don't know what the next new product will be. Uh, you know, hemp was hot for a while. It's kind of started to die down a little bit. Um, will shiitake mushrooms take the main stage that hemp did? Time will tell. You talked earlier about farmland protection. What are the threats in Seneca County? I know in many parts of the country, development is the major threat. Is is that a big threat here in Seneca County? And if not, what is? Yeah, that's a really great question. It depends how you define development. Um, a lot of people define development as the 50 or 100 track home coming into um, you know 10 acres or whatever it is. In Seneca County, we don't have that yet. The threat that we're seeing is what well, what's called in the, I'll say the industry, death by a thousand cuts. You buy five acres, Ave buy five acres, I buy five acres, my neighbor buys five acres, all of a sudden 20 acres are now gone out of production that would have been available for, for farming. So we do have that. We have the, the, the small subdivisions. And this um, plan, they've actually, we're working with consultants. And one of the consultants has been able to map, I think, from back in the 1950s um, up through current time. And, and it's amazing to see, particularly around some of, many of the villages in the county, how, how the village center has, like, spread out. So it's sprawl. We don't see it because we drive by it every day, but... Um, this is happening throughout the Finger Lakes as well. As much as I love to have tourists come, I always tell friends that come to visit me, come as much as you want, leave your money, go home. <laughs> I don't want you living here because you're going to want to buy that five acres and it's going to take more land out of production. Um, so there are some programs in place, but certainly planning and helping local communities think about how they want their community to look in the future is the way to go. And then this plan is on a county level, so it, it provides some opportunities there. You had a seminar recently on farmland succession. Is, is it difficult for older farmers to find those younger family members or someone else to take over? We're actually, um, we're, this was a six-part series, and we're actually doing uh, the fourth one tonight. And I'm instructing it, <laughs> and it, it, it can be hard. It's a difficult conversation because many times the older generation doesn't want to admit that they're going to be coming, that their career is coming to an end. Um, and farming is not an easy occupation, and not all children want to come back and farm. Many of them will go off the farm and work and then say, oh, I really do want to farm. And that's the perfect situation, in my opinion, where they come back with some experience off the farm under their belt, and then they're, then then perhaps that can make a smooth transition. Other times, there are no children 
or the children just said, no, I'm not interested. And then if the older generation is interested in seeing the farm continued and not put into some type of housing, which is usually where it goes, then they will look for someone outside to come in. And usually it's either through an internship or a mentorship. There's some type of matching and there are several programs in the state now that will match um, people who don't have a farm to go home to with a farm that is looking for a successor. Um, but it's, it's not cookie cutter, it's not one size fits all. It can take years for this to happen and I've worked with a few farms over the years where they thought they had the right person in and after three years that person wasn't the right match and they left and they had to start the process all over again. So again, we do recommend to farms that are in this situation to start early. Plus you need to give the time for the person coming in to understand the farm and this, the older generation needs to act as a mentor for the younger generation, the new owner, whoever it is, time to learn and to grow and and sometimes that's even hard for farmers because by gosh this is the way I've always done it and we're not changing anything well unfortunately times change and another series you did was on the unique challenges faced by women farmers and and that's a growing group talk about those seminars and some of the issues women face in farming sure we're still working with a, a group of about 30 women um, we're meeting Mondays and Thursday nights virtually <laughs> and uh, that's been a positive because we've been able to bring this group of women together virtually that we may not have been able to bring together um, if they had to drive somewhere I know I at last year we had a couple women from Seneca County that were thrilled to death that it was virtual because they didn't have to drive to Binghamton mm. you need a core group in order to start your discussion so yeah, women, women are increasing in number uh, as farm owners, and agriculture is still perceived by many as a, a male-dominated um, profession. But you get a group of women together, and heaven forbid, they're a force to be reckoned with, and these women certainly are. So some of the challenges that they're looking at are, you know, what are the various programs that are available? How do you talk to a lender? Um, what are some of the some of the um, management concerns if you have staff on your farm? How do you get staff to come and work for you? How do you compensate them? What are some of the safety concerns? Agriculture is still a, a a potentially dangerous operation and along with mining and forestry agriculture is right up there so what do you need to be aware of how do you handle visitors that come to your farm many of these farms want to be open want to be transparent so that the consumer understands where the food's coming from and who their farmer is consumers today especially after COVID, going back to COVID again, are very interested in knowing where their food's coming from, who's producing it, how it's being produced. And that's a good thing that people are interested in that. But um, we, need to, we need to bring people, if people are comfortable, to the farm. And women tend to be more willing to open the barn doors, so to speak, than, say, um, men do. Um, they t men male farmers tend not to want to share as much as women do. 
typical in life. <laughs> and that leads into my next question for you, Abe, which is one of the missions of Cooperative Extension is interfacing with and educating the public. You know, I've raved about the ag tours that you did. Mm -hmm. I attended two of those where you covered just a lot of different issues like runoff and, and keeping the water clean and, and explained why it's in farmers' best interest mm -hmm. to do that right. as well as it is for consumers. So talk about that educational part and are there any more of those tours planned, knock on wood and COVID allowing? Well, I can, I, I'll have to ask, ask Judy about that. It, certainly that is, uh, education is our, is our thing. Uh, that is, uh, is, is what we do. There is, there is so much misinformation that, that is out there. There is so much uh, clutter and noise that the, the great thing about information from extension is that we, is that we are a, you know, a hopefully trusted, reliable source. It's, uh, our information is vetted. Uh, it, it usually, uh, it's, it's for the most part, usually something that comes down from a university or another land grant. Uh, we we if you notice if you ever get on our website to to look for information, uh, we don't all of our stuff pretty much comes from .edu or .gov those those kinds of sources, uh, and so yeah so the that is a the, getting out that information to people whether that is through workshops um, our nutrition program does amazing things with food preservation. Uh, I've got a group of, of participants right now from Seneca County that are going through um, Cornell Climate Stewards training, and so they will have information to be able to get out to the public, both in, in workshops, but also to work with uh, town governments and, and village governments on those kinds of things. Uh, so uh, our master gardeners, uh, we, we have a hotline for that, if, you know, what is, what is this bug? We're, uh, the last week, somebody brought in jumping worms uh, that we were trying to, to to deal with and figure out. Uh, so uh, that is that is the key thing key thing that we do, and is both uh, with staff, but also to train uh, the public uh, to become trainers, uh, to become instructors. And that leads into one other area of focus I want to get into, and that is climate, environment, recycling. And you've worked a lot with young people. You put mm -hmm. together this Seneca Green team. You've got the farm to school program. So now you have kids going home educating their parents about nutrition or about recycling. Exactly. One of the first things we, we found when uh, the, the county approached us to, to talk about uh, to be responsible for recycling education in the county, what's the best what's the best avenue to get that out? And it pretty much was, you know, if I tell my wife, hey, you need to really recycle that, it's probably, it may or may not happen. Uh, but if, you know, my son come in, came in and said, mom, what are you doing? That 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 could be recycled. That could be turned into, you know, cans forever. Uh, that's likely to happen. And so uh, we, we formed the, uh, the Seneca Green team, which is uh, Generating Recycling and Energy Education Now. Uh, we're big on acronyms, uh, and uh, and so uh, we several years ago we had teams in each each school district. Um, it has its ups and downs. It depends on if you find that right person in the school district. 
uh, to help support it. Uh, we've got a great thing going with uh, Binders Academy right now with Barb Reese, uh, one of their one of their teachers, and she has that group uh, really going well. Uh, they designed actually a uh, recycling or uh, reusable recycled. Uh, bags that we've been giving out lately were we're, we're designed. They're there. They're actually great bags. You can they fit are. a lot of stuff in them. Uh, and so that group, uh, it was great because that group came up with, well, this is what we want to do. That was actually their idea, and they came to us and and we said, well, we've got money to do that. It's a it's a great way to get the word out. Uh, they sat down, did an initial design, then they actually worked with the graphic designer, Christy Brewer, on our staff to say, oh, let's, let's play around with that. So it was this great interchange and helping those kids learn more uh, as, as well. And so uh, we've, been, uh, we've been trying to get that message out, uh, working with those students to, to really do more. Um, the, uh, there's also actually one of the climate stewards is uh, we'll be hopefully reviving our, our efforts in, in South Seneca uh, because one of the climate stewards participants is one of those teachers uh, and she's starting uh, the, to revive the Seneca Green Group there. Yeah, tell us more about that climate steward program and, and climate smart communities. So the, the climate stewards program that we've been working on, it's a, it's a pilot program. Uh, I was lucky enough to be helping with the statewide group. We are, have about 60 uh, participants from across the state, uh, and it is a, is, let's see, we're, we're at about it's a 12, 12 week curriculum uh, currently, uh, and we're doing that virtually actually at the, at the moment. So uh, every Thursday night, uh, we, we meet for about two hours, groups from across the state, and it covers everything from basic climate science to what are mitigation strategies, what are uh, adaptation strategies, what are the differences between those two things. How do you communicate with people about uh, climate change? How do you work with broad, uh, broad communities, people that may not quite buy climate change to people that are like, oh my gosh, we're not doing enough, uh, to people that's like, yeah, this is really bad, but we've We've, we've got to approach it in such a way that people just don't get turned off and give up. Uh, so the, uh, that group is, uh, is coming down towards the end of its, of its training. We hope that uh, after that we'll, we'll be tweaking it, we'll be able to offer it more uh, across the state. The part of the point of those uh, climate stewards is not just general education about climate change, but also uh, the, the Climate Smart Communities Program, which is a statewide program uh, there's a lot of money to be had for local communities to upgrade their upgrade their buildings to be more energy efficient, to install electric uh, charging stations uh, in their communities, uh, to figure out how do you best build your culverts and your drainage systems so that the next time you have a flash flood, it doesn't wipe out Lodi Point. Uh, and there's so and actually Lodi is uh, a leading in the in the county in terms of putting together its team and uh, really moving towards being a climate smart uh, climate smart community. So so they saw the effects. They, I mean, saw, they saw, the saw what happened when it, floods hit. Exactly. And said, okay, we got to change something. Exactly. Exactly. And then also in the southern part of the county, you've got a terrific program uh, for home energy efficiency, the uh, Heat Smart FLX South program. Tell us a little bit about how that works. 
So we'll we'll have to make sure you get Erica in here, uh, Erica yeah. Herman. So the Heat Smart uh, South program actually covers all of the county, um, and uh, it is talking about uh, heat pumps, uh, uh, heat pump electric uh, hot water or heat pump hot water heaters, um, and uh, both uh, air air conversion heat pumps and geothermal, uh, but. Erica Herman is our colleague who works out of Schuyler but covers uh, Seneca for this program. And she can get you hooked up to uh, energy audits uh, for your home, uh, no cost or low cost. And then she knows all of the programming in terms of, well, what are where are the rebates? Where are the, the, the loans? Where are the, the um, uh, programs to help subsidize a move to uh, a, a heat pump technology, which is uh, her, her ex- explanation is kind of like, well, you know how your refrigerator sits there and makes it cold inside. Well, the heat pump's kind of the same idea. It, it takes uh, either the, the natural heat from the ground and then is able to heat your home or cool it during the summer, and the same with the air exchangers. I know uh, you got a lot of programs going on. Anything in particular in the next few days, or just send people to the website? Just send, yep, people can go to the website. Uh, the, the the big thing is is getting through the annual meeting. So that's that's what we're looking for right now. All right, thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. We'll uh, we've just scratched the surface yeah. of what Cooperative Extension does, and we'll have Hans Walter Peterson on to talk about grapes, and we'll get Mo Tidball in here to see what she's hunting and grilling yeah. up. And <laughs> we'll have a lot of fun both yeah. on this program and on uh, standalone uh, podcast episodes. Uh, if you'd like to be on this program, have a story to tell, you can email me. It's Ted at FingerLakes1.com. I'm on Twitter at FLXTed. F and T are capitalized, so don't go to that all-caps guy. I can't vouch for him. And then uh, I'll be back here on the Debrief Podcast with Josh Durso tomorrow. Until then, uh, this is Inside the FLX from FingerLakes1.com. I'm Ted Baker. Thanks for watching.